if you if you uh, set your clock right, you get to fall back, and we get an extra hour of uh, sleep. If you forget, you'll be early. That's the worst thing that could happen. So I just want to make you aware of that. We're going to dismiss children for Children's Church. That's ages 4 through 1st grade. And you can follow Mrs. Stafford out the north door here, kids. All right. So just uh, if you want to mess with my mind, sit in a different place. Because I know where most of you sit. Okay, I mean, it's kind of like this pattern. You know, I'm seeing Don Stafford sitting over here. I'm going, Don, what are you doing over here? But just just a thought. So You're throwing me off, Don. So uh, I don't know about you, but um, I watched part of the presidential debates. I watched the last third of the last two presidential debates. And when I turned my television off, I never felt the need to pray for our nation more than that. But I want to say this. I want to say this. If you're registered to vote, pray, ask God to give you wisdom, and vote. Number one, because God has given you that privilege. And that is a freedom we should not take for granted. Um, and for those of you who have served in the armed services to keep that privilege, uh, I want to say thank you. We're going to be celebrating uh, Veterans Day in a few weeks, but please do that. Second of all, keep this in mind. Um, whoever gets elected president, it's a democracy, not a monarchy, and we can throw the rascal out in four years, all right? So just keep that, keep that in mind, whatever happens, whoever you're favoring one way or the other. So, third of all, I want you to recognize that there are other offices that are being voted for. So just keep that in mind as well. Those are important. We need to contribute to that. And last of all, I want to say this. We have the privilege of living in a democracy, right? And democracy does not do well when apathy sets in. So just be aware of that. And again, I want to encourage you to use uh, that God-given um, right that the rest of the world does not enjoy. So I want to encourage you to do that. But again, at the end of the, of the debates, I was really sad. I was looking at this because of the mudslinging, the lack of civility. And you have these two grown adults who could probably be my parents acting like children. I mean, it was, it was pathetic. And, you know, I was saying, who is the adult here? What, what is going on here? It was like two, you know, I was going back, to, I was transported back to the playground back in, in, in grade school with this whole thing. And I guess it's, it's a symptom of the broken world that we live in, okay? I accept that. I accept that. But it's even sadder when that type of thing happens in the church. When believers who put their faith in Jesus Christ, act like children. When indeed God's purpose is that they would be come together and be one in Jesus, they act in opposition to one another. And it is a evidence of a lack of maturity. And this is what Paul is going to be calling out today in the Corinthian church. And that's what we're going to see. And ask the area, ask the question, Lord, are we acting in an immature way as well? So let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and look into God's Word today and uh, see what He has for us. 
So Lord, as, as the choir has sang, we bless your name, O Lord Most High, because you have sent your son Jesus, and he makes all the difference. He makes all the difference for our eternity, and he should make all the difference right now. So come, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, invade our hearts, affect us, cause us to turn our hearts toward you, cause us to see what you have for us in your word. And Lord, if there are areas where we need to repent, give us grace to repent. If there are areas where we just need to move forward by faith and take you at your word, help us to do that. But we want to see what you have for us today. We're grateful. We're grateful for um, the nation we live in, and we do want to pray for the United States of America. We pray for our president, that you would help him finish his watch well. And we pray for your hand in the process as we select a new president, we select no new um, civil servants in the areas of Senate and Congress and our, stu- our uh, city council, all those things, Lord. We pray that uh, you would make us people that do indeed pray for our leaders and that you might use them to accomplish your purposes for the blessing of our nation and our society. So we lift these things up to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're in uh, verses 1 through 9. Paul said, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, for you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For one says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field God's building. We've kind of covered this ground before with, with, with Paul. He mentioned that there are factions among the church members there in Corinth. Some are saying, I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. Some are saying, I follow Cephas. It's in chapter 1, verses uh, 13 through 15. But Paul, through these the next few verses, really from that point on through um, chapter 2, has been doing a biopsy of their behavior and their values. And that they are in total contradiction with the gospel and what God was doing in their lives. Again, there's division. People lining up behind their favorite Christian leader. And they saw their newfound faith as an ends, a means to an end. That is, to gather worldly wisdom, which is dependent upon human logic human understanding, and an eloquent delivery. And they saw themselves as quite wise, although they were questioning the wisdom of Paul, who planted the church there, and they saw themselves as spiritual. But what they had received from Paul was quite the opposite. 
It was God's wisdom, or, according to this world, God's foolishness. That is Christ, and him crucified. The good news of the gospel, which he comments in verse 23 in chapter 1, is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those to whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. And then what more, God demonstrating his power in his foolishness and who he had called and who he chose to use. Verse 27 in that same chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And then last week, we focused on the giving of the Holy Spirit and how that illumines the gospel. You see, just as indispensable is the work of Jesus Christ and his, his work upon the cross and his resurrection, so is the Holy Spirit to reveal God's wisdom, to reveal this gospel. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. We talked about it last week, that God takes his Holy Spirit from himself and places it inside of the believer, that we may understand the gospel, may understand what he has given us in Jesus Christ. That ultimately that God did it, we can't do it. And he had to reveal that through the power of his Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no understanding of the wisdom of God or the gospel. Verse 14 of chapter 2, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You may understand the storyline, but you're not going to make it part of, it's not going to make sense to your heart and your mind. And last of all, the Spirit gives the sermon about spiritual things. Verse 15 of chapter 2, The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. So this was the issue for the Corinthians. They had God's wisdom, God's gospel. And they had God's Holy Spirit within them to illumine them about this gospel. But they were not living or walking accordingly. And so again, it says here in verse 1 of chapter 3, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. You see, failure to walk by the Holy Spirit in the wisdom of God is immaturity. Again, as I mentioned, the Corinthians viewed themselves as spiritual. They were very spiritual, especially when it came to gifting. But by Paul's assessment, he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual because their mind was set on something totally different than what the Spirit of God was revealing. They were using the gospel as a means to really gather what they wanted, which was earthly wisdom. They were too eager to move on from the gospel per se. Hey there. And so he says, I had to dress you as worldly, as of the flesh. Best thing is your babes in Christ. You see, whenever Jesus Christ and his gospel becomes an end to, um, 
a means to an end of what we desire, that is immaturity. So if I look at Jesus as something to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise, or I look at Jesus to make all my troubles go away, or to make all of my dreams come true, I'm using Jesus as something other than the life I have in Christ. And it is a childish attitude. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want to be involved in those things. I'm just saying that is not the maturity that God desires. In fact, when our desires and our dreams are shaping what we think the gospel really is, that's not right. Rather, the gospel itself should be shaping our lives. He'll say in the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 15, And he died for all, that is, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised from the dead. And so he goes on and says in verse 2, he says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Again, what Paul initially proclaimed to these Corinthians was the gospel. Christ and him crucified. And all the things that followed from there. And they viewed it as milk. Something to be taken in and quickly moved on from. They wanted something more significant. Something that was going to make them wise. They failed to realize that this was the nourishment that actually their souls needed to help them grow. Again, focusing in on the gospel. Christ and him crucified. Again, think about all the implications of this. The God of the universe came from glory, lived this life, and gives himself up for us. It's a salvation we receive by grace. Reconciling us to a true God that they did not know. Giving them life, and an eternal life, and a glorious destiny in Christ. Bringing them into a body they had been not connected to. Giving them spiritual gifting they didn't have before. And all this had to do with nothing that they could bring to the table. Not their ability, not that they deserved it, nothing they earned, nothing they were worthy of. It was God's grace. There was nothing that they had to offer God. In fact, Paul says to them in chapter 1, verse 26, Look, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble. It was all by the grace of God. And it should be humbling them for them to understand that God made a way, this salvation should be shaping them. Open their eyes with the Holy Spirit and giving them deep gratitude and awe and wonder at the grace they had received. And it should cause them to extend grace to one another rather than looking to lord it over each other to grow up to be more like Jesus Christ. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus here. We talk a lot about what he has done. That's because we need to continually proclaim the gospel to ourselves. Let it play out in our lives. One of the things I've appreciated about this, this study our Life Together groups have been going through in, in the prodigal God is it makes us deal with the gospel, what God has done. But maybe as we're going through this, if you've been going through this, you may have found yourself initially being introduced to Jesus as the younger son. The one that needed to be forgiven of your sin and your rebellion. 
And the good news is, you can never go too far for God's grace not to reach you. On the other hand, as you're going through this, you may just discover that you've gone from the younger son to becoming the older son. You're the one who's compliant. You've gotten really good at being good. And you come to the point where you stop realizing that you have been saved by grace. You're a person that sees yourself as superior to others. And maybe you're discovering that God needs to save you, save you from your own sense of self-righteousness. You've kind of generated a sense of entitlement for God's favor, rather than understanding that it is indeed His grace. We need to be constantly feeding on the gospel. And it's more than just mere milk. Tim Keller states in his book, Prodigal God, the gospel is therefore not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but the A to Z of the Christian life. Our problems arise largely because we don't continually return to the gospel to work it in and live it out. That's why Martin Luther wrote, the truth of the gospel is the principle of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, to teach it to others and to beat it into their heads continually. We need to beat it into our own heads continually. The gospel has implications for every, every aspect of our lives, our marriages, our finances, and most of all, how we treat each other. Unfortunately for the Corinthians, they had made their faith a competition where one sought to assert one's own spirituality, superiority, and gifting and wisdom by the leader that they followed. So Paul continues on in verse 3. He says, you are still worldly. Literally, you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere men? Number two, earthly divisions in the body is evidence of immaturity. You see, it is within our earthly fleshly nature, our tendency to want to follow men and leaders who we can see, rather than the Lord that we cannot see. And when we put leaders in a place where following one or valuing one over another creates division amongst the body. We're acting in the manner that's like the world. That's like the flesh, not as people who are led by the Holy Spirit. So to line up behind one leader for the Corinthians to line up behind Paul or to line up behind Apollos, it was less than what God had intended. You know, we can do that sometimes in our own Christian circles. We're living in a time where there has never been more theological and doctrinal information out there. I mean, you just, libraries, internet, what have you, all sorts of stuff. And so we may say, oh, I'm a Calvinist. Or one says, I'm an Arminian. Or one says, I'm a Wesleyan. Or another says, I'm a Lutheran. I'm reformed. I'm a dispensationalist. I'm charismatic. It may help us to identify where we're coming from the theologically. But it usually does no good in bringing unity to the body and understand that God is at work in a much bigger manner than we 
perhaps perceive. And so Paul continues then on in verse 5. He says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. You see, right understanding of God's servants in the body is a step of maturity. Instead of comparing leaders, their style, their approach, their gifting, Paul shows the Corinthians the bigger picture about how God is using and coordinating his servants. And he starts out in verse 5 saying, each is assigned their own role. Paul was assigned to plant, to plant the gospel. He's the one who initially brought the gospel to Corinth. Apollos was later on called to come and water that plant. To teach them as an apologist. Help them understand their, their faith to a greater extent. You know, I, I feel like I've experienced this in my own life, in my own walk, at my home church in, in Oakland, California. I grew up under the teaching of a, of a senior pastor named John Notelfer. John um, was the son of German missionaries to Japan. And I'll tell you what, he was a very godly man. He is still, you know, as I, th- as I think about what a senior pastor is to be, John is still the model in my mind. And when he spoke, he spoke with just godly authority. It was amazing. And he had this thick German accent. And, you know, so he kind of preached like this. So I tell you, the Lord has this for you, my friend. That's John Notelfer. So. But sometimes John would wade into the deep end where a point where I'm going, man, I know you're saying some godly stuff. I have no idea what you're talking about. And on staff was another man named John Bruce. And John had been the Campus Crusade Director at Cal Berkeley. He came on staff as the pastor of, of teaching and Christian education, and he would come and preach in the evening and teach us. And John just had a great way of putting the cookies on the bottom shelf and just making things plain. And, and you know, neither of them was in competition with each other, but God used John Nothelfer to really give us a sense of this is God's word, this is what God is saying. But John... Bruce did a great job of explaining it and giving us understanding of what God was doing. So you've got one who's planting, one who's watering. And this is just a small, in this passage, a small microcosm between Paul and Apollos of how God uses the body. We're going to get to this much more when we get to chapter 12 and talk about gifting in in the total body of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that when we get to chapter 12. But number two, the focus cannot be on the servants themselves, but on the God who empowers and uses his servants to accomplish his, accomplish his purposes. So verse 7 says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Whenever a servant of God gets too full of himself or herself, 
they need to be reminded that God can use anything. You know, in the book of Numbers, God uses a donkey to get the, ten, the attention of a, of a wayward prophet. It's very clear what was going on, but he used a donkey. So the, the focus, again, needs to be not on the servant. It's, it's about the God that's behind the servant. Number three, God's servants are working towards the same end. Look at verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. This is what Paul's been trying to tell them the whole time. Look, Apollos and I are on the same page. We're heading the same direction. We want you to be following Jesus with all of your hearts. They weren't looking to gather followers. They were looking to promote Jesus. This week I had the privilege of doing council time in Awana. It was great. I got to talk about God's heart, and I got to throw out all sorts of candy and jack them up and send them home. It was wonderful. But here's the cool thing. Before the kids even got to me, you know, there were listeners who were helping kids work through the verses as they're hiding God's word in their heart. There were teachers who were helping the kids understand the verses that they were memorizing, talking about what what is this all about. And then I get to talk to them about you know where their hearts were at in relation to a man named Pharaoh who hardened his heart against God. But here's the deal: who cares? Who cares about who the kids connect with more? Our our desire is ultimately that these kids will follow Jesus. We're all on the same page. We're all pulling in the same direction. So it might be the game leader that night who who those children see Jesus in. More than, than the leader. It doesn't matter. We're all pulling together for one purpose. To help them see Jesus. To help them follow Jesus. To help them be followers of Jesus Christ. It's not a competition. And then there is the promise, second half of verse 8, of reward for the Lord's servant. And they will each be rewarded according to his own labor. You know, as I've worked through Paul's epistles and some of the hardships he's gone through, I wonder if there are moments where Paul's going, is this worth it? Where he gets beat up, where he gets stoned, where he gets rejected, where the, the church that he invested in is going sideways. I wonder if there are times he's going, is this worth it? And I want to just say something to many of you who serve here at Berean. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're involved with Awana. Maybe you're involved with In His Name. Maybe you're involved with any of the other various ministries. And and when you see the humanity of things, you wonder, is it worth it? You're trying to share a Bible story with a kid, and they're over in the corner, and they're goofing off. You're, you know, trying to talk to a youth and they're texting as you're, you know, trying to, to tell them the truth about Jesus. There are all sorts of distractions. Sometimes people who you have good intentions to try and minister to, they don't respond to you too well. I want to tell you it is worth it. I want to tell you it is worth the cost. And Paul himself will say at the end of this letter, verse 15, uh, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. The Lord sees what you're doing. The Lord sees what you're doing. It is not in vain, and I would encourage you. We're going to talk about that more next week, about what it means to build on the the foundation of the gospel. But I want to encourage you that if you're feeling like, man, I, I wonder if this is making a difference, the Lord sees and it is not in vain. And it will bring back bring back uh, dividends more than you know. The last thing is there is a privilege in being God's co-worker. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. And the amazing thing about God is that he reaches into our lives and redeems us for himself. He makes us our ch- his children, right? And then he turns us right back around and wants to use us in the redemptive process in others. What an amazing privilege. And the truth of the matter is, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. I'm going to tell you even right now, in the Muslim world, God is saving people without Christians. He's bringing them to faith in dreams. That doesn't mean that we should not be involved in the work. But he doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. Perhaps to demonstrate his power. To show his power in spite of us, in spite of our weakness. Sometimes we feel like, man, who am I? But God wants to say, no, I want to use you and show my power in and through you. As we talked about earlier, God chooses sometimes the weak things of this world to shame the wise. But second of all, I think to grow us up. I think to grow us up. Because to be involved in ministry to be involved in gospel ministry is to give yourself. It means you have to give up yourself. Your time, your energy, your emotions, to invest yourself. And when you have to do that, it maybe starts to give you a little more understanding of what it meant for Jesus to leave glory. To come down and live and to give himself. And maybe you even feel like you're, you're sharing in the, in the sorrows of Jesus Christ. But he wants to show you what it meant for him to leave his glory and to become the servant of all. You start to identify with him even more and start to become like him even more. And it's one more step of letting the gospel resonate in us, letting it humble us and even mature us. Growing us to a place of dependence upon God that he wants to use us, growing us in faith that he indeed does want to use us, and growing us in gratitude that he includes us in that. What a privilege. I'll tell you what, in my own life, I never feel more joy than when I see God doing something in me and through me, causing someone to come to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why I'm in ministry. It was a night where I was with some young men, at a Christian college even. And a young man said, I get it. I get it. There's nothing I can do to make myself acceptable before God. It's all what Jesus has done. It's all by His grace. And it was like, yeah, 
That's what I've been telling you for six months. But the light bulb went on. And I walked away from that evening in tears. Going, God, quoting a bad beer commercial doesn't get any better than this. It was great. And that's how God wants to use us. He wants to grow us up. So my friends, I know some of this is kind of circular logic in, in how Paul's presenting these things. But I think one of the things that God wants to impress upon us, impress upon us, is to let the gospel sink deep down into our bones. And let it affect us and let His Holy Spirit lead us in every way. That it might change how we behave, change what we value, change how we view people, even change how we interact with one another. And that will make us mature. That will make us like Jesus. That will make us spiritual. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to ask Brian and the worship team to close us here in a moment. So Lord, indeed, we are humbled. Because so often we want to get past the implications of the gospel. We have other plans, we have other things, frankly, that we want to see you do in our lives perhaps different plans of what you want to do in our lives. But you want to make us grateful and secure in Jesus. And you want to do that through your Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to grow us into the stature of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we ask that you would do that. Make us all that you've intended for us to be. Keep us from factions. Keep us from looking to earthly leaders, and keep us looking at you, Lord Jesus. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for your word. Help us to live in a manner that pleases you and brings glory to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.